Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm very glad you're with us today. You know, we all come to this big, complex, and magnificent universe and this little blue marble within it with just one crucially important task. We come here to raise our personal consciousness vibrations away from fear and toward more perfect love. And our big job is to do the very best that we can with that one task and then to boogie on back home because we really are eternal beings. I say it to you every week, and it's as true as true can be. You never began, you never will end. And you come to this world with that, with that one task. It seems simple enough, doesn't it? But the only problem is that we enter these earth lives as oblivious babies with no memory of the task at hand. And we come here without the slightest idea of why we came here. Of course, we even come with with not just no understanding of why we came here. We also come with no clue about how to go about it, even if we could remember why we came. So uh, whenever I come across a guest that I think can help us with that task, I try to bring that guest to you with who because, because maybe we can come together and have some idea about help to, how to help one another get that, get that task done. Our guest today is one such teacher who can perhaps help you with that task. Patty Henry is a psychotherapist. She's been in private practice for over 30 years. She has three books that are available through Amazon, of course, and they are The Emotionally Unavailable Man. Boy, don't we know a few of those. The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing. Gotta go, A Gift for My Loved Ones, and her latest book, which is called Two Lifetimes from Fear to Love. That's the one that we're going to talk about, of course, today. She specializes in helping couples and families to heal. And her she has a psychotherapy practice, which is in Houston, Texas, which is another little joke of mine. I live in Austin, and many people will say to me, oh, Houston, she, you must know her right down the road. Well, it's what, three hours away, four hours away. Houston and Austin are not nearby. Dallas and Austin are not nearby. This is a very, very big state. But today we're going to be talking about that book called Two Lifetimes from Fear to Love. And I think actually this is a, a wonderful book. It's precisely what we all need as we try to get past the damage that childhood so often inflicts on us and we get about the real work that all of us have come to earth to do. I, when I had a, I was growing up, I, I had a friend uh, who was older than I, and she said, nobody gets through childhood undamaged. And I actually had a perfect childhood. I had a childhood I wish everybody could have. My My parents had to get married. And this was back in the days when Roe was not an option. If it had been an option, I wouldn't be talking to you today, as my mother made clear to me after I had grown up. Um, my parents made it clear to my younger sister that they had her so that I would have someone to play with. Her lifetime was very, very damaged in childhood as a result. And uh, again, I think most of us have that kind of trauma in childhood. And she never 
my parents didn't know that that was a traumatic thing to say to her. We don't, we never understand what we're doing to children obliviously. And so I picked up this book when it was sent to me. I, you know, you cannot imagine how many books I'm sent. I finally had to tell people, if you send me a book, I will throw it away. You've got to send me PDFs because my husband will divorce me if we get one more book sent over the transom. Um, but anyway, this book I had to pick up and look at because uh, that was exactly what I needed to, to, to get books that I could read and then talk to you about because we just need to know how we can raise our vibrations in this lifetime from fear and toward love, because that is the whole reason we come to this earth. And that is what I'm, I really want to help you better understand today, how we can raise our vibrations. So Patty, welcome. I'm so glad you're with us today. I think your book is terrific. Oh, thank you so much. Well, let me start with just the basic premise that I believe that every single human being that comes to the planet is perfect. That you were, I was, every single one of your listeners came to this planet perfect. If you hold a newborn baby, you know what I mean. It's just like looking at the face of God. And our world is really not at the place of high energy vibration of love yet. We're working toward that, but it's not there. So this perfect little being gets thrown into lifetime one where he or she has parents and siblings and teachers and coaches, and we all get wounded. Some people get wounded a lot and some people get wounded a little. And our, uh, my belief is our work is to um, outgrow that wounding and move from your fear and your history running you to your authentic adult self running you. Yes, I, I agree with you that we're all perfect when we arrive. And and the, the actually the punchline kind of of my own story is I think my parents spent my childhood making it up to me that that they kind of didn't want to have me. I was what was called a seven month baby. And so I was the I was the perfect one, the one that they they really fawned over. But my poor child my, my sister was an afterthought. And uh so mm. I've kind of tried to make her make it up to her in her adulthood that she was the afterthought. And I just I just love her. I think she's perfect and precious and wonderful, but she really has not felt that way as much about herself as I wish she had. And, and, uh, but all of us, all of us need to know how perfect and precious we are. And right from the moment before in the planning, we are perfect. Oh, we're all perfect. But as, as you point out, and I, I wish we had like two or three hours just to go through your whole book and talk about that whole process and why you call it two lifetimes, uh, because we sort of spend a good part of our lives just getting back to who we were at that perfect beginning. Right. And to me, that's the goal is to really get back to your authentic self, the one that came to the planet before you got wounded. And um, the wounding really can be from, you know, being left off of the team, uh, not included, invited to the party, you know, things where it just hurts the little child's um, self. 
and says, oh, what about me? And um, so we have little teeny wounds and we have big wounds. I had a client one time that told me his parents did not believe in spanking. So in order to um, get compliance from the children, they burnt them with a cigarette. Oh, oh my yeah. Lord. Oh. He had scars all up and down his arms. And I um, oh. just wept for that child because that perfect little baby got wounded. So he's in the category of a lot of wounding. And some of us are in the category of not very much wounding, but we still have to do the work. I think there's um, a dragon in between lifetime one and lifetime two that we all have to face. And um, the dragon is the same for everyone. And that is the belief that I'm not good enough. Oh, my Lord. So, well, let, so let's talk really briefly first about the concept of the two lifetimes. In the first lifetime, uh, they're basically, I mean, we're small, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're treated as if we're in some ways inferior. Um, and, our, and, and going back really to that beginning, our, our parents were damaged because this is a cycle that right. repeats for generations their parents were damaged and so so everybody is raised by damaged people who are raised by damaged people and and so the cycle goes on and so are the teachers and so are the coaches you know everybody comes perfect and gets wounded and so um you know the work is to move out of our wounded child that will run our lives it's just like a computer programmed to run this way until we replace it the programming with different um, instructions so our wounded child will run our lives until we replace it with our knowing that we are enough that we are good enough claiming it really owning you know wait a minute that's a lie I'm I am good enough but I do think the universal wound is I'm not good enough. And so that's what we have to attack. That's what we have to, you know, say that is a lie. I don't believe that anymore. We, we tend to take during at least maybe the first five years of life, we, we tend to believe what we're told. At Absolutely. least that was, that's what I believed. So during my first few years of life, what I was told, I think because they felt so bad about the fact that they felt that they, that they, I don't know this somehow, maybe thought that they had told me when I was in utero that I wasn't wanted. So they kept telling me how wanted I was and how special I was. And, and um, my father kept telling me I was going to be the first woman president. My mother kept telling me I was going to write the great American novel. And she kept telling wow. me that, the world was going to hear from when I was a baby, the world, I was going mm. to say, do great things in the world. And the world was going to hear from me and, and stuff. So they kept giving me this, this great, both of them, the, these great um, uh, ambitions to live up to, which I don't think, I think that's creepy too. But on, but on the other hand, that's better than well, actually inferior. That's what I was, yeah. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. That's a way of wounding too, because. Right. It's um, like, it's, it's not good either. Not having, 
Yeah, it's not having space for who you really are. And um, yeah, giving you the message that you had to live up to these, you know, huge expectations. That's a lot of pressure on a child. Right. And so. Right. You but know. I believed it, and 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 in front yeah. of other people, they would t- they would tell mm-hmm. tell in in front of my sister, oh. they would tell other people that they had had her, so that I would have someone to play with. Oh yeah. So you anyway, talk so about creepy. Wounding. It's all right. everything is creepy when you think about it. Well, it's wounding uh, <laughs> to say Lord. that. Um, yeah. We had her to, you know, right. entertain you. Right. Right. She was a toy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, right. But, yeah. but she remembered it all. I, I, I didn't, it, which is strange. I think I put up barriers around all of this. I, I was oblivious yeah. just so much. Well, um, still we get the programming. And that oh. program runs until we stop it. Oh, And Lord. so... Um, I call it um, ghost drivers that they um, want to take over your life. Ghost drivers. Run it. Where does that term yeah. come from? Because I wrote that down. Um, well, I don't know where it came from. I, you know, it came when I was writing. I thought, well, that's what that is. They're ghost drivers. And um, <laughs> I know. I have two boys and they used, when they were growing up, they were doing uh, Mario Kart on the video. And uh, if I'd walk into the room, they would say, mom, mom, play, play. And I'd be like, I didn't know how to do that. And they're <laughs> like, oh, come on, come on. And so they'd be yelling at me, push B, push A, you know, okay, do this, do this. And <laughs> my play, my little car would just go off the bridge into the water which they thought was hilarious. They thought it was the best thing to watch mom play this because I couldn't do it. Um, But I think our ghost drivers are kind of like being in a Mario Kart that we're, um, you know, having to dodge everything that's on the road and try not to go off into the ocean. And uh, there's just a lot of stress um, to be that magnificent person you were supposed to be I mean you are the magnificent person that you are and um but you haven't solved world peace yet as far as I know but your parents thought you were going to yes yeah I know still working on that one right right (laughs) that's right no it, it, but it's true, and I think I, I I hadn't thought about it till I was reading your book. But it's it's impossible not to damage your children, no matter how much you try right. not, because all parents have such ambitions for their children, and 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 we we tend to I think project our own ambitions onto them, and we think yes. we think that with that that's somehow a good thing, but it isn't a good thing. Because right, it's not making room for the child actually right. to develop into who he or she is. Right, right. they're all unique um, to themselves. Right, and that's um, you know, in my book I talk about a little bit emotional incest, and emotional incest is when the parenting gets backwards. You know, in a healthy relationship, parenting, uh, it's my job to take care of the needs of my child. 
in emotional incest, it becomes the child's job to take care of my needs. Yes. I need you to Wonderful succeed. I need you that. to do all this. I need, and so the child gets the authentic self gets kind of covered up there. And yeah. So we have to get back to um, knowing. Wait a minute. This is my life, and I'm allowed to enjoy it, take charge of it. In fact, we have to. We have to take responsibility for what we're thinking, we're doing we're feeling, we're not doing, it's all up to us. And so if something isn't working in your life, it's up to you to change something. Right. To take some action. Right. Instead yeah. And, and of. So right. So true. It rang so true to me because I could see it in my own parenting. Uh-huh. And it, it, um, Yeah just really getting that I'm in charge of my life, all of it. And I don't care what my mom says or my dad or my teachers or whatever. I'm, this is my life and I'm allowed to claim it and own it. And that's where you get that empowerment in your authentic adult self, which is in lifetime too. All the good stuff's in lifetime too. All the harsh, stuff is in lifetime one so it's important to get over to that lifetime too and slay that dragon that says i'm not good enough and say i don't believe that anymore i am good enough and the reality is everybody is good enough to be a flawed human being and that's all we are we're all flawed human beings nobody's perfect and so um we're good enough to do that. And it's accepting that that makes you powerful. When yes, you, absolutely. When you, when you accept yes. that, that makes you strong. Yes, it empowers you to take over the reins of your life. Instead of letting the ghost driver drive your car, you're like, get out. I'm in charge now. And uh, yeah, it empowers you when you're able to own your stuff, when you're able to understand where it came from and uh, make uh, different decisions if it's not working for you. I, 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 thought, I thought some of the, the things you said about that were quite powerful, how it's frightening to accept mm. your own weakness, mm. but that's what makes you strong. Um, yeah, it's ironic, isn't it? But it's true. Yeah. Uh, being able to accept the um, humanness of who you are and not, I have to be perfect and I have to get it all right and I have to heal the world. And I, no, I'm just a, a human being here on the planet doing the best I can. And my work is to own myself, my choices. In lifetime two, you get choice. You always, always, always have choice. In lifetime one, you think somebody else has the power. You know, I can't do that because my wife will be upset with me, or I can't do that because my husband will kill me. Oh, I can't do that. I'll get fired. I can't, you know, it's somebody else has the power as opposed to I am in charge of my life. I get to determine who I am, how I am on the planet. 
Am I a person that walks in integrity? Am I a person people can trust? Do I want to be? And if the answer is yes, then you have to get your behavior in line with that. I think the way you showed it was very empowering because, um, and I, I think this was something that I taught myself. I, I, I went, I was trying to figure out who I, it's very hard to go back and remember what it was like to be young. You sort of try to forget mm. it as soon as you possibly can, because, <laughs> you know, it's hard to be young. You don't, you don't remember how hard it was. Yeah. What I remember is thinking, if other people can do it, I must be able to do it too. I remember thinking that, but yay, uh, yeah. I mean, I, what are the odds that I wouldn't be able to do it if other people are, can do it too? But, but I remember thinking that's probably exactly what I thought. But, mm-hmm. but it is a little frightening to first be a grown up. But then, yes. But then you so you do think. I bet that I can probably do it. Mm-hmm. And then you do something and it actually succeeds. And right. you go, what? wow, <laughs> that wasn't as hard yeah. as I thought it would be. And then you do right. something else and it actually worked. Right. I mean, the thing about choice, choice is the part that empowers us. And um, when we come to a crossroads where we have to make a choice about something, I say, brainstorm, figure out all the options, and then pick one and do that. And if you're going down the road and it's not working, then throw it away, go back to brainstorming, look at what your options are, pick another one, and um, do that. And so you have choice all the time, whether to make something you know, to awfulize it, make it horrible that this is happening to me or to shrink it down into, okay, this is part of life. Uh, I don't like it, but it's part of life. So I'm going to go with it. You know, you have choice how you label things, how you uh, approach them and whether they're going to have power over you or you're going to have power over them. Yeah. One of the things I liked about your book, it was it made me go back and look at how I had handled those very first decisions mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and I, yeah, right out of college, my very first job, I took a job as an accountant. I mean, me and accountant, me and numbers, where I'm, I'm allergic <laughs> to numbers. They actually give me hives, but um <laughs> But that was that was the actual job that they that they gave me. And um, I'm sorry, what? I said, oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) The worst worst possible job for someone allergic to numbers. (laughs) I know. I know. But but nevertheless, and it was in in an insurance agency or company, you know, big company. And and everybody there, they were all men and everybody there. Um, was was a member of this you know organization, except me, and uh, because yeah. it was a male organization, and I realized that. And I a few weeks later, I went into the uh, the fellow's office, and I said, you know, I'm supposed to be a member because everybody is. Oh, but you're you're a woman, and I said, right, <laughs> and, and <laughs> but I'm supposed to be a member. 
oh, but you're a woman. He said a second time. So I said, yes, but I'm supposed to be a member nonetheless. And, and um, it, it, it plummets to him that I would actually expect to be equal. Because right. this was a long time ago. I'm like 97. Maybe I don't look it. And, and actually, I, I insisted. And they ended up not making me one, but nobody then became, nobody could be one. I insisted on it. And I stood my mm. ground and I'm, I would amaze me that I was willing to do that. This was, this was in the ancient times. Yeah. How I wonderful. Very good about myself for having done that. Yes. yes right. Everybody else lost, lost the right to be a member. Everybody else lost it. They looked at me funny, but I won that. Mm. And, yeah, and right. something, Patty, I felt very good about that. Yeah. And, and it was like, a, it was, it was, a, it was a very, I felt good about it. And I think if well, I hadn't took done that, I felt, yeah. we would have had a tour, two tiered system there, but I wouldn't allow that to happen. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and they looked good at me you. differently, but not only, but they looked at me differently, but they actually looked at me with a lot more respect after that. And yeah, you're right, you're right, Patty. I mean, we have to stand up for ourselves. We do, all of us mm-hmm. do. And it was, right. it was more formative than I thought it would be. I just thought it was stupid that they had that going on. And it was already, right. geez, for heaven's sake. But 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 you're right. I mean, little things like that make a big difference. I didn't even want to belong. I would never have gone to a meeting. But the point mm-hmm. was... It was time for those things to be passed, those stupid things to be over. Right. And right. And, and little things like that make a big difference. And now I, oh, I'm, I'm proud of myself for having done something like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and the other part of choice is you have to give up your victim card. Yes, that was you what that was doing. Do I wasn't going to be a victim of stupid things like that. Not anymore. Yes, yes. That's fantastic. Because that's uh, what gets us trapped a lot of times is saying, you know, I'm not allowed to or they won't let me. And you said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to stand for what's it, right. It was it was time for women to stop deciding that and by the way I, I left not long after to go to law school I decided you know what I'm tired of having there be yeah. things that we can't do and I think right was, I was there were only five percent of that law school class that were female at that point it was time wow it was really time yeah yeah so wonderful mm-hmm. um you know and I think that when you are true to yourself that it makes a difference in the whole world. It impacts the next person you, you know, and it impacts, you know, all those people you stood up to, it impacted all them and their marriages and, you know, and um, it, it matters. It so made me think about so, that whole time, and which I had forgotten. I, I mean, a million years ago, that was. I remember what mm-hmm. in, in my college class, even, I mean, I went to a, a female school, but, but I remember one, one guy I dated actually said, you know, the worst thing about this time, I used to be able to go into a, a, a college mixer and look around the room and no, I was better than more than half of the people in that room because mm-hmm. they were women, you see, he felt better than all the women in that room. And he was mm-hmm. sad about the change. Poor man. Wow. <laughs> 
He actually right. said that to a, to a woman. Can you believe it? Oh, my goodness. We could talk all day uh, about those times. Yeah, yeah. But it's all those little choices that people have made over the years to say yes. no more. No, I'm going to stand for what I believe. And to me, that's giving <laughs> you your authentic authentic adult self, the person you were meant to be on the planet when you're empowered and you feel, um, I can stand up for what I believe. It's funny and you don't have to believe it. Yes. And to, and, and to see that now women are not standing up for things like that. People are saying it doesn't matter now that, that men and women no longer, um, women are, women are no longer defending their right to have their own swim teams. Mm. After, after we fought for the right, to to even be equal for heaven's sake i don't know mm-hmm. I, we are going far off topic i want to talk about your book but you you really got me thinking about those days i have to tell you um mm. it was it was a hard time it really was mm. but no more in an important time too right mm-hmm. um so well you're just really telling about that transformation from lifetime one into lifetime two Lifetime one, we really don't have any power. We're just pushed around and, um, you know, feel like a victim and feel small and are, you know, treated like we are small. And um, so transforming, going over past the I'm not good enough dragon and saying I don't believe that anymore and keep moving over to lifetime two where you do make a difference. And you uh, can own that power. In my book, I talk about, um, you know, uh, some things go our way and sometimes they don't go our way. And sometimes they are unfolding perfectly. And to be able to be one with that. And I use the example of being invited to go to the Oprah show. Yes. With the man, mankind project, because I oh, yeah. uh, really think we, we have to heal men in order to heal the world. We have to empower them with genuine, uh, authentic, um, loving power as well. And oh, yeah, so that was, I was asked talk about that. Yes. Yeah, and so I was asked to go uh, on the show, and um, he gave me the assistant's personal email or um, cell phone number and. Um, she said, oh, yes, we'd love to have you. And and I didn't know what that meant, but I thought I would at least get to, you know, talk about my book or I had um, the Emotionally Unavailable Man at the time. And, um, and it turns out that she didn't want to hear from any women in the audience. She said, I don't want any questions from any women. <laughs> so, oh, goodness. Um, I thought well, you're kidding, and because I had come from Houston to Chicago in the winter time, it was freezing. Oh Lord! And I thought, why am I here if I'm not going to get to say anything? Because I was going to promote the Mankind Project, and um, didn't get to. And so, after the taping, um, the director of the Mankind Project in Chicago invited the whole audience back to the Mankind Project headquarters where they served lunch. And so um, I went and um, 
at one point, they said, we're going to do an exercise. Find yourself a partner. I don't know if you remember this in the book, but I found myself a partner and um, he was uh, a man about my age. He was a black man. And um, I asked him if he had gone through the Mankind Project yet. And he said, no, I'm going to do that in the fall. And it was like January. I said, well, why wait? And he said, well, because I just got this child dumped on my doorstep and I'm going to be raising a teenager now. And I said, oh, that must have a story. And he said that his brother had died. And so this boy was his brother's boy. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. That must be really hard to lose a sibling. And then he told me he lost all three of his brothers, his mother and his girlfriend in the same year. And I I said, oh, my God, how are you standing? How are you walking? How are you functioning? And uh, he said, not very well. And I asked him if I could give him a hug. And he said, yes. And I gave him a hug and he just sobbed, sobbed and sobbed Mm -hmm. in my arms. And uh, I knew at that moment. Yeah, that's why, that was I was why you were there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it had nothing to do with Oprah. <laughs> it had to do with being in the right place at the right time where I was needed. So, um, just oh, getting connected to your own amazing, magnificent journey is important because we all have amazing, magnificent journeys. Yeah, and there are people that you can help, people who need you. And sometimes that person that that needs you then is able to, in very powerful ways, help other people too. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we never know just where we are most needed and who the person is that we can help who then can powerfully help other people in ways we cannot even imagine. No, mm-hmm. I remember that story. That touched me so much. I had tears in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. He cried and I cried. <laughs> we both cried. Because yeah. uh, it was like such a human-to-human moment. And how sacred is that? So, No, it is. It really is. No, um, but the thing it is can turn you- out the way... You, you made yourself so vulnerable in that book. I mean, your life was very damaged too, and you were you were were healing yourself throughout that book and and showing that you're that you were being healed. I can see. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I if there were if I knew someone that that needed the kind of help that you give, I would trust you to help that person because you've had to help yourself and heal yourself. And make yourself mm. strong. And that that's the kind of person you're not above anything. You you are you are in the fray and healing um yourself just as you're healing others. And that's one of the things I loved about your book. Oh well, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I do think it helps if um you're gonna teach healing that you actually do your own healing first. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it makes it credible. And so um yeah, and so I've done that work for sure. And we continue to grow and and uh, 
have opportunities to love and to give. And um, the more you're in your adult self, another telltale sign about am I stuck in my child or am I uh, in my ghost drivers or am I in my adult self is um, getting clear about reacting versus responding. That um, our child reacts and our adult responds, able to slow it down, think, and have a response. I mean, I'm not saying don't say anything. I'm saying be conscious of what you're saying instead of just reacting from your wounded child. So we have to get aware of what our child is reacting to and what a response would be. Which yeah, I, I think that, I, I think that that's very important. I mean, people ask me because I keep telling people we come here to have these experiences. We come here to 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 be wounded, to overcome the wound, to to mm-hmm. to grow from it, to to become strong. And people say, but you know, but but why? Why we choose these experiences that happen to us? I mean, it's I think of it as a as a spiritual gym, really. Um, we we, mm-hmm. we become to be strengthened by these these experiences. People people say, but you know, but but why? I I would never have cho- chosen these things that happen, but we do choose these experiences, as as hard as it t- is to believe. Um, but we well. Um... I think that that is definitely um, a worldview that you have, and it's great. And there is the worldview that it just happens to us, and um, <laughs> right, and and that's okay too, because it doesn't matter if it it was meant to be or not meant to be. The work is outgrowing the victim, outgrowing the reactionary. And being able to love the people that you meet in your world. And the people, and love and forgive the people grow beyond it. Um, Yes. The people that wounded you. Yes. Because they were wounded, right? Yes. Yeah. Getting to really know that, oh, they're the same as me. They got wounded too. And, um, you know, so it gives you some compassion. Lord knows we need more compassion and empathy in the world. As as you say, um, someone said, um, who has a, I can't pronounce his name, having no fear is the ultimate joy. Once you have mastered the inside of no fear, then you are free. You are free. Right, right. I think it's Thich Yeah, but you can that. pronounce that. I can't pronounce that name. And, and oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm reading it. I can't pronounce it. And um, forgiveness is, frankly, uh, an an ultimate goal. Um, Peter Peter asked Jesus, um, "Well, how many times do I have to forgive if uh, someone right. does the same stupid thing to me?" And Jesus he said, "Do I have to do it seven times?" Which seven was a magical yeah. number back then? And Jesus said, "Not seven times. Seventy times. Seven times." No matter how many times he does it, you got to forgive it every single time. Mm -hmm. And respond, respond, you know, help the person instead of, um, you know, getting angry and that's reactionary. And so um, like when I'm working with a couple, I 
know that they're going to start to unfold what is or unmask uh, what is deep in their subconscious from their childhood that they're still carrying around and still being run by. And, um, you know, I tell them after the first session, okay, I want you to go home and just notice if you're reacting or if you're responding. And because that's the first step to really get, I don't have to react. I don't have to go into that little boy or a little girl that was hurt. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, stay centered and think. So, yeah, just start looking for where's the reacting and where's the ability to respond because that's what we want to do. And sometimes when I say don't react, don't react, people hear, don't say anything. I'm like, oh, no, you you need to say something, but not from your reactive child, more from figuring out what would be helpful right here to say and then say that. Well, you are you are just you obviously have done your own healing work just beautifully, my dear. But um, I think Your book is terrific, and I really recommend strongly that people, people who feel that they have growing that they want or need to do and to feel better about their own life and to help those around them to feel good about their own lives, too. And frankly, to learn to love and to forgive, because that's the whole reason we're here. I think your book is a wonderful tool for that. So I'm so grateful that Thank you're you. on and, and that you're that you're helping. Well, I hope today. Yes, I hope people go to Amazon and get a copy of it. Um, uh, my other books were in a different time when um, there was, I did a lot of conferences with clinicians and um, the Emotionally Unavailable Man. In fact, um, I'll tell you a story. I don't think it's in this book, but um, when my book, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, came out, it was a Tuesday. And somebody called me on Wednesday and said, oh, I just got your book. I love your book. Uh, We want you to speak at our conference. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, it's Friday. I said, oh, my goodness. Really? He said, well, it's the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but we have you on Friday. I said, don't you already have your speakers (laughs) booked? I mean, really? You have a slot? And he said, "Um, well, we're going to have you 12 to 1 at lunchtime and I said do you serve lunch and he said no uh -uh. people have to bring their own or go out and I said who's gonna come they've been in class from 9 to 12 and then they're off from 12 to 1 then they have another class from 1 to 4 I thought who's gonna come I brought 20 handouts and 184 people came wow and I thought oh I have struck a nerve Because we have um, in that book, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, I talk about how we have actively shut down little boys' emotional development by telling them big boys don't cry and suck it up and be man and, you know, all that stuff. And um, and they do. And then 20 years later, we put them together with a woman who didn't have those messages and she's very emotional and available and he's not. <laughs> and then he gets beat up because he's not available. It's like, well, uh, yeah, no. let's change that whole. Yeah. What a, oh, yes. 
Yeah, the trouble, as, I, as I've often said to people, the trouble is that all of us are raised by amateurs. I, I've often said to folks it would be good if, I, if, if we could throw away the first batch. Now I know how to do it. But unfortunately, they make us keep the first batch, and that's the problem. Right. <laughs> well, it's oh, wonderful sure. having you here, my dear. We'll have to do this again. Consider yourself hugged. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much for the important work that you are doing. It matters. (laughs) Thank you, my dear. And everyone, once again, we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you could be with us today. And please never forget that you are a powerful and eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, we'll be talking with my dear friend, Brian Smith. He'll be here for the third time. Brian lost his beautiful daughter, Shana, unexpectedly and in her sleep, and she was in her early teens. And that, of course, transformed his life. He's now a grief coach, and he teaches others who have lost their children. He helps them to hopefully transform their lives for the better, too. He's one of just a handful of people who have impressed me so much. I invited him to do a a guest blog on robertagrimes.com, and I invite him sometimes to just be be just a guest minister from my platform. You're going to love Brian. He's going to join us next week. And this week, of course, we've been talking with Patty Henry about her book, Two Lifetimes from Fear to Love. It's available on Amazon, and I recommend it highly. If you think it can help you at all because it certainly frankly helped me as you saw I raved I really would rave about it again I think it's a beautiful book and while we work together to build seek reality online and our effort is frankly to eradicate the fear of death from this planet worldwide right now entirely and joylessly and forevermore and to replace it with the glorious fact that all our lives really are eternal and our eternal lives frankly, are a boatload of fun. And while we work on on teaching that essential, essential fact and using it to eradicate all the pain from this world right now, it's important for us to continue to work on raising the consciousness vibrations from fear on one hand, on the low and disgusting end of the spectrum, to love on the high end worldwide. And for people like Patty Henry, that is essential work. And she's helping to do that really very much with her book, Two Lifetimes, and gives us a fresh and wonderful way to do that. I think, frankly, it's going to be an essential book to doing it worldwide, too. So her book is really going to be a wonderful way for us, I think, at our website to help people to do that. So thank you for very, very much for just listening to us talk about it. And I'm going to try to get that book out as well. But while we're doing that work, Patty is helping us. So thank you for listening. And I hope you'll buy her book. And of course, remember everyone that the Afterlife Research and Education Institute is our sister nonprofit cousin. AREI is Dr. Craig Hogan's website, and I hope you'll join it. Just go to AREI, Afterlife Research and Education Institute, and join there. 
And as you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and soon The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. For young children, there's The Fun of Meeting Jesus. And if you want to talk about any of my books or if you want to talk about anything, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I do answer every email, although it can take a while because I do get a lot of emails. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta. Roberta Grimes, please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful eternal being and you and most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.